Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I'm a hospice social worker. Today I want to talk about death. I know we've talked about different aspects of hospice and death at different times, but today I want to talk about actually experiencing and being present and having the honor to witness someone's death. Uh, I want to warn people right now that this could certainly be a trigger for some people. I'm going to have some details about death um, that you might not want to hear. None of them are graphic per se, but uh, often in our culture, we just don't talk about it. So this is just my experience. And so here we go. I recently had the honor of being present when someone ingested the death with dignity meds. Now I did a pretty early on episode about death with dignity and what that actually is. I'll just do a quick review of that now, but if you want more detail, you can go back and listen to that episode. But basically Washington is one of eight states that allows people with a terminal illness and a prognosis of six months or less who is a resident of that state and is of sound mind and able to make their decisions and also able to ingest the medicines themselves to request a lethal dose of medication. There is a waiting period of two weeks. You have to make certain requests, both oral and written, and you have to consult with two different doctors. And in this case, the person was pretty animate that they did not want to go on with the kind of quality of life that they were having at that moment. We did discuss different various types of deaths, including natural death with hospice involvement and being kept comfortable. We discussed what we call VSED, which is voluntarily stopping eating and drinking. I have not done an episode on that. I probably won't, but just know that um, anyone can stop eating and drinking at any time, but it is definitely a challenge. Um, you really need to have the support around you to be able to facilitate that until the end. It can take up to one to three weeks. You do get confusion and you need help towards the end of people caring for you. And that just wasn't what this person really wanted. So when I explained the option for the Death with Dignity Act, that definitely fit in with their goals and their wishes, which was to not have any kind of agitation or need extra care at the end. They did not want to be a burden to their family. And they really wanted to maintain a quality of life, the quality of life that they had up until that point. So that was their decision after hearing all of the presentations. That person decided that death with dignity was best in line with their goals and wishes. So I helped facilitate finding doctors to uh, take care of the actual steps you have to take. The family was supportive and we had a plan in place in case something was to happen medically in between that time. I want to take a moment here to just back up a little bit and maybe go over a little bit about what it means to be a hospice social worker in regards to being present for death. Our particular hospice does not have what some might call a hospice house or a facility where people go. So we have to go out to people's homes or if they're in a facility already, we go to them. So there's not a particular place that I would be necessarily that I would just be able to walk into a room and, and be there. 
However, I have on occasion been lucky or honored, if you will, enough to be present when somebody passes away or uh, as happened to me three times in one week, I stepped into the door or knocked on the door just as they were taking their last breath. So I was able to be there with the family, support them as they were going through that transition. But it's not often, honestly. It's, it's oftentimes that people pass away in the middle of the night or um, on a weekend, you know, over a holiday, something like that. So I'm not always there. Very often I'm not there. But I have on occasion been present either a few hours prior to death or right at death. So this is not the first time I've actually witnessed life leaving a body, if you will. However, this is the first time that I have been present for someone ingesting medication knowing that it would actually end their life. Those of you that know me know that I am a staunch advocate of death with dignity. And this is for a lot of reasons. Number one is because I've seen the effects of the end of disease and if it were me, and I'm glad that I have the option in this state that if I want to take matters into my own hands and as the law states, have a death with more dignity rather than having someone else care for me or losing more of my physical or mental abilities as the disease progresses, I want that ability to do that and I want it to be as safe as possible and peaceful as possible. I do not consider death with dignity to be suicide. Death by suicide is something where you're not already dying of a different disease. Now, there was another episode that I did a few months back before all this craziness started with Dr. Honda and we talked about whether or not suicide should actually be uh, preventable and or should death with dignity expand the capability of access if someone has something like chronic pain where it's not necessarily going to kill them in the next six months, but they may have a miserable next 40 years if they don't opt for something like suicide, which if it's not done with this type of medication, like with the death of dignity law, then it can be messy. It can be very traumatic for the family and it can also cause you to still be alive, but suffer with some kind of other damage. For example, if the person had, you know, decided to use a gun, then maybe they don't die, but they have disfiguration or a disability afterwards because they didn't die. So back to my original point is that I don't consider the Death with Dignity Act to be suicide. In fact, on your death certificate, it does not list that you use that medication because the fact is that you are dying from your terminal illness. That's why it requires two different doctors to agree that you do have six months or less. As much as I personally would like to see that it even expanded to include people that may be suffering from something that wouldn't allow them to access the law at six months of their disease progression, you know, something like dementia, where at the six months or less mark, you're not able to make that decision or take the medication. So maybe down the road we'll get there, but I'm just happy that we have the access that we do and that it is available. I'm not saying that everyone should do it. It's not for everyone, but I do support whoever wants to do that on their own. So in this particular instance, <clears throat> this person decided that 
Again, this was part of their goals. This is what they wanted. And their family was supportive of it. You know, it's not a requirement that your family be supportive of it, but it certainly is a help because you may need some assistance at the end with getting repositioned. And also, it's just not a trauma that your family needs. I mean, especially if they're living with you, you're going to probably want to talk about uh, the fact that you're, you're taking this medication. And I feel like most people, if you have an honest and earnest conversation about your goals and what your wishes are, that most people are going to be understanding, especially, again, reiterating, you're not dying from this medication so much as you're going to die from your terminal illness. So before I attended this particular death, I was pretty anxious. You know, I was going to be the only person from our organization that was present. And I can't actually do anything. I can't, you know, give them the meds. They have to do that all on their own. But I was there just to be a support for the family. And I hadn't been there. So I staffed the problem with people that have been. I went over a couple of different things that aren't necessarily in the literature, things that we've learned along the way, like um, being on your left side or being at least 30 degrees elevated. And that's going to give your body the best chance to digest the medication without having any kind of inadvertent uh, vomit reflex. There is some medication that you take about an hour beforehand that is anti-nausea medicine, but just to make sure... You want to take any kind of precautions that's going to really prevent, you know, anything as much as you can. Now, the body is a unique thing. It's a unique biological entity. Every single person reacts differently to medications. And every single person has a different diagnosis. Their body is reacting differently to that diagnosis. So you can't predict every single thing, but if you're prepared then hopefully things go smoothly. So in this particular instance, I think everybody was as prepared as we could be. We knew um, that the medication in its current form, which is four different types of medication in very lethal doses, it is compounded into a powder that you need to mix with a certain liquid, either alcohol or water or certain kind of juices. They do encourage you not to use things like milk because it has fat and it can impede the digestion process. But there are certain things you can use to mix it up in. It's about four ounces. It's very bitter from what I understand and a little bit hard to get down. So um, also you want to make sure that you drink it pretty quickly because we've had people go unconscious anywhere from one to five minutes. And number one, you don't want to take a really expensive nap. <laughs> and number two, you don't want any kind of side effects from not being able to take the medication and then maybe waking up and not being in a place where you could actually take it and, you know, honor your, your wishes and your goals. So the first struggle is always the actual medication ingestion. It's not like you're drinking a Coke, you know, you have to make sure you haven't eaten and prepare your body to make sure that you have the best chance of ingestion and no other kind of issues with that. You also kind of want to be where you're going to be because of becoming unconscious so quickly. You don't want your family to have to move you from wherever you're going to be. So 
In this particular instance, it was a bed. There were cushions and things that uh, were propping this person up at a higher angle for their head to be above their stomach and slightly on the left side so that we could do the very best we could for ingestion. Now, again, every body as it goes through the dying process does different things. I've seen people that do it like the movies and just kind of take one final breath and that's it. But I have to be honest with you, that's pretty rare. Most of the time people have different one or another type of breathing changes. Sometimes they have what's called chain stokes breathing, which is kind of a rapid panting breathing. And then maybe they'll have some apnea with that, where they'll have anywhere from five to shoot, I think I counted 45 or 50 seconds of someone not taking a breath. And you're just staring at them, waiting for them to take another breath, and then they do. Um, that that can happen for a prolonged period. I have been amazed at how long someone has been able to only take about one breath a minute and continue to be alive for quite a long time. Some people have what's called agonal breathing, where it kind of looks like they are starved for air. Sometimes uh, we'll call it guppy breathing because it looks like their their mouth is really open when they take a breath, like they're trying to swallow air. So in most of these cases, I would say the person is in such a state that they're pretty far down their end of life journey and they're not feeling it. In particular, when anything like that happens with death with dignity, at this point, the person is unconscious. They're not feeling anything. Um, they are completely unconscious and you can tell by other nonverbal signs, there's no distress in this particular instance. Um, their face is smooth. There's no grasping at anything. There's no tense muscles. Every other part of them looks completely relaxed, but it's important to let the family know that breathing changes are a very normal part of end of life and it can happen. Sometimes people will either even have, uh, secretions where sometimes the fluid is coming up through the mouth or nose. And this, again, depends on the disease that they have. It depends on their body and how it's reacting to medication. So it can happen. And we just want to be there and normalize that. In this particular instance, luckily, there was very minimal secretion. There was a little bit, but not a lot. And there was a little bit of that agonal breathing. But again, I've seen something that looks much worse. Again, likely the patient is not feeling anything. It just looks bad for the family. It's kind of hard to watch. So um, this was pretty minimal, but it was there. Breathing changes were happening. Uh, the color was changing in the person's body as they were completing their dying process. The body starts to withdraw everything and kind of come to the core. So feet, arms, hands, everything like that, starting to get cool to the touch. Lips start to turn blue and the body is shutting down. Now, in a typical death with dignity case, it really depends on how far along they are in their process and what their diagnosis is. What I've found uh, for the most part is if they typically have a fairly healthy heart and lungs and maybe they're dying of cancer or something else to that effect, the average is anywhere from one to four hours for the person to pass away. What I've also found is that if someone has a really weak heart, it does not take that long. Um, generally, 
we've seen anywhere from eight minutes to an hour. So it's a much quicker process if someone's heart is already compromised. After this person passed away, we verify there's no heartbeat, there's no more breathing, the person is gone. I reposition the person to look a little more comfortable, took all the pillows out so that they were kind of laying flat. And then was able to debrief with the family and just review, you know, what, was that okay with you? How are you feeling now? Even though we had done a lot of that beforehand, making sure everyone was prepared, I wanted to make sure that they still were feeling okay with everything. Unfortunately, uh, pick up for a final arrangement, either cremation or burial from a funeral home or contracted facility that can take a while. Um, I've seen that take anywhere from 30 minutes to four hours. So just be prepared if you know you have a loved one that's dying, either with death or dignity or natural death, that you know they may be in the home for several hours before someone can pick them up. So have a plan, have have memories to share or music to listen to. Um, you know, prepare yourself that it might not be so quick. Some some cultures, some people want to gather around and, you know, say their prayers with the loved one after they're gone. Other people don't want to be in the room with a person who's deceased. So it's really just up to you and your personal preferences. Um, we were able to have this particular person in their own room, which was nice. Um, it did save on re-experiencing some traumatic events from a, a past death and a past family member. So I was thankful for that. And overall, the family felt really well supported. They supported the person's choice. And they were able to see it as really a courageous way to take things into their own hands and control their destiny. It was really a, a beautiful thing that I was able to witness and an honor to be a part of. I'm so thankful that I was able to be there to support them and support the family member who was worried about their, or the patient that was worried about their family member. So that was my experience. I do have to say that, again, regardless of my uh, agreeance of the law, I still afterwards kind of found myself sitting there just experiencing it in a visceral way, saying to myself, wow, I literally just watched someone take their own life. And it was not coming from a place of judgment. It was more of just a reality and a place of wonder that that happened, that I witnessed it, I was able to bear witness, and that something like that can be so peaceful and so positive. So I just wanted to throw my experience out there, um, not only just because of death with dignity and that it's uh, uh, something that's available in our state of Washington and a few other states in the United States, but also know your rights, know what's available to you, and if you're curious about it, you know, if you're a family member and someone in your family says, I'm going to, I'm considering this, then you can always go to the End of Life Washington webpage and get more information on it. Otherwise, um, that is really all I wanted to talk about. I apologize. I haven't been having weekly sessions here on the podcast, but as everyone is experiencing during this pandemic and COVID times, Things are just crazy. Uh, a lot of my interviews and things that I had lined up have kind of fell through due to physical distancing restrictions and or people just experiencing stress in general. 
everybody is experiencing that. You know, that's definitely a new element of hospice care is that it's hard enough to care for a loved one that's dying, but add on the restrictions of physical distancing, the worry about virus, you know, spreading, worry about extra people coming into your home and possibly carrying it, even though uh, I know our team takes great care to use PPE and not transmit anything. It's still a worry in people's minds. It's a stressor. And then when you have to consider someone that's either in a facility or may have to go into a facility, then they have to also weigh whether or not they're able to see their loved one in the end of life. So it's a hard, hard time. Everybody is having stress. Please try to have grace with one another and most importantly with yourself. We're all going to get there someday. Just like the title of this podcast, there's no escaping it. We are biological creatures and we are all going to die. No one has come up with a fountain of youth yet. And to my knowledge, no one has ever been able to escape dying. So it's going to happen. Something that can help you with that is just realizing it. You know, it's kind of part of that accepting of things that we can't control. There are some things we can control and that is our own reaction to things and how we're going to respond to it. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. It's not. It's hard to think about losing a loved one. It's hard to think about not having them here in the physical world with us. And depending on what your beliefs are, you may or may not have some kind of solace with a religious faith about that. Or maybe you have a solace with knowing that you're going to be back into the ground and you're going to be part of the dirt and you're going to be part of the life cycle. Whatever your preference or beliefs are, you know, you can lean on that for, for strength. But what's really, I, what I find most helpful is if you just accept that death is a part of life, then you're able to put that aside and not worry about it constantly. And that is the nature of anxiety is worrying about the future. And it's going to happen. No matter what we do, no matter how healthy we are, no matter what our environment is, we're going to die at some point. So the acceptance of that allows us to be free to enjoy the moment, to live in the present, to be able to have those moments. I mean, they, there's so many times that you hear people talking about what is a wasted life versus a life well lived. And most of the time, the answer is someone that was able to enjoy life as they were living it because they weren't worried about what happened in the past or what was going to happen in the future. When you're doing that, you're missing what's happening right around you. And you may be able to enjoy that present life, even in quarantine times, if you're able to just focus on These are the things I can change and these are the things I can't. So what can I do about the things that I do have control over? If you have any comments or questions or anything like that, I would love to hear about them. If you want to talk about some things with me, I'm happy to do that. You can always find us on email at someDayDeadPC at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Our website is a little bit behind, but it's up there. Uh, So reach out if you have any questions. And you're in quarantine, so you might as well rate and review and subscribe to the podcast. I hope all of you are taking care of each other. Again, give each other grace. If people are having opinions that aren't yours, try to remember that maybe those opinions are coming out of fear. And that's the perspective that they're coming from. It's not necessarily out of a place of ignorance or hate, although sometimes it is. 
I would say most of the time it's a fear reaction and what we can do to help one another is reach out and have grace. If any of you are looking for a little more lighthearted podcast listening, might I recommend You're Wrong About, which is pretty great and they have a book club series going on right now. There's also uh, My Favorite Murder. I know that sounds a little dark, but they have a great time telling stories and sometimes they're not about death. Just a week ago or two ago, they had a crazy story about a lady that survived a two-mile fall out of a plane. It was an incredible story. You should definitely hear it. And there's also Sklar Brothers uh, doing a podcast called Sklar Bro uh, Country, and it's the virus edition. So they do a little 25-30 minute set on weekly news stories and craziness and their opinions on things, but they make it fun and lighthearted. So if you need that, there it is. Again, Please take care of one another. Try to live in the moment. You don't need to rush it because someday we'll all be dead. If any of you are looking for a little more lighthearted podcast listening, might I recommend You're Wrong About, which is pretty great. And they have a book club series going on right now. There's also uh, My Favorite Murder. I know that sounds a little dark, but they have a great time telling stories, and sometimes they're not about death. Just a week ago or two ago, they had a crazy story about a lady that survived a two-mile fall out of a plane. It was an incredible story. You should definitely hear it. And there's also Sklar Brothers uh, doing a podcast called Sklar Bro uh, Country, and it's the virus edition. So they do a little 25, 30 minute set on weekly news stories and craziness and their opinions on things, but they make it fun and lighthearted. So if you need that, there it is.